It has been said that when some exclusive members-only club opens its doors to a group of people who used to be banned, that group then becomes the first to protest the opening of the doors to the next group. I mean, what's the sense of having an exclusive club if certain people are not kept out? And even though you once felt bad when you were the one left out, well, that memory can fade once you get on the inside. God worried something like that might happen to his people Israel too. Today on Groundwork, we'll see how that showed up in the book of Leviticus. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, this is the fourth and now final program that we're doing uh, on the third book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. We've observed throughout the series that Leviticus probably isn't a lot of people's favorite Bible book. I don't think I've ever asked somebody, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And they said, oh, Leviticus. But we've been seeing how relevant Leviticus is for us today, still as Christians. In the first program, we had kind of a general overview of the book, and we established what is really the theme of the series, how to live in the presence of God. Because here they are in the middle of the wilderness at Mount Sinai, actually, where God has given his law. He's given directions for the building of the tabernacle, and then he's come and filled it, as we see at the end of Exodus, with his own presence, the cloud of his glory. And immediately he begins to call to Moses and say, now here's the implications of that. Here's how you need to live. And so we talked about holiness, which is kind of the theme of the book, You Shall Be Holy Because I Am Holy. And we talked about how all the sacrifices uh, went together to show that sin had to be dealt with in order to live with a holy God. Now we want to talk about something that's a little bit uh, surprising in the book of Leviticus because most of the focus is on Israel and how they have to be distinctive. And so the words are addressed to Israel. Uh, This is how you must sacrifice, how you must be holy. But surprisingly, weaving through Leviticus and through the wider Old Testament is this focus on how you were to treat non-Israelites, foreigners, what some Bible translations, which I heard every Sunday when I was growing up, Dave, I'm not sure what Bible translation it was, but in the Ten Commandments, uh, this came up in the uh, the Fourth Commandment, the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt not do any work, neither thou nor thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, and then I always remember this phrase, nor thy alien who is within thy gates. And I remember when I was a kid, I was kind of into science fiction, so I kind of wonder what aliens uh, we're talking <laughs> right, about, right. Uh, Vulcans or Klingons. But it, it's really the stranger, the the immigrant, the foreigner who somehow or another comes into Israel, and God's really concerned about how those people get treated. Yeah, right, the non-Israelite. And it opens a window, really, on the actuality of what life was like in ancient Israel. Even during the Exodus, even during the wilderness journey, they were always somewhat of a mixed group, a mixed bag. We tend to think, those of us who've maybe been raised in the church or gone to Sunday school, well, there's 12 tribes and they're all huge and they're all pure. And No, no, there were always odds and ends floating about, human flotsam and jetsam that traveled along with them or came into the land with them or or after they arrived, it was a more confused picture, really, ethnically. And especially if we remember that countries weren't defined back then by flags and by clear borders and maps. 
people sort of wandered about. There were migrations. And so there were always strangers in the midst of Israel. And they became uh, among the most vulnerable people in Israel. And we've talked in other Groundwork series, including one we did not long ago on justice, uh, that there's that triplet of vulnerable people that God refers to again and again in the Old Testament, the widow, the orphan, and the alien, or the immigrant, we might call that person today. These people were, were vulnerable to exploitation, and so God's laws in Leviticus, laws like the gleaner laws and the like, make extra provisions for those people. You're not only, we're not supposed to actively mistreat immigrants or orphans or widows, you're actually supposed to actively bend over backwards to help them with extra assistance because God didn't want them to be mistreated. And a, a classic Old Testament example of uh, somebody who was kind of in all three categories at once, but who was certainly an immigrant, was Ruth. Right. A couple moved from Bethlehem to Moab because there was a famine in the land. The husband died. There were two sons. They each married women, local women, local girls, one of whom was Ruth. Then both those boys died. So we have a widow, Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law. One of them goes back to Moab. The other, Ruth, clings to Naomi and says, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm, your God will be my God. And they move back to Bethlehem, and there they are. So what's going to happen? Because in that culture, it was the man, basically, who protected and provided, the father and his sons. So if you didn't have that— yep. There was no social security. There was no safety net. And thankfully, a man named Boaz kept the laws of Leviticus by providing extra for Ruth and for Naomi, saving her life. And of course, as we know, Ruth and Boaz become great-great-grandparents of no less than King David, and so great-great-great-great-grandparents of, of Jesus. So when the laws of Leviticus to take care of the alien within your gates were followed, good things could happen, because this is what Leviticus 19 says— you can think of Ruth here, but anybody, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So just two little verses there from Leviticus 19, but boy, do they pack a punch. Right. And notice the, the preeminence of the need to remember what happened to them when they were the immigrants in Egypt. They were treated like dirt. They were enslaved, and God is saying, don't you ever dare do that to somebody else. Yeah, right. And again, the big impact, I am the Lord your God, that just happens over and over and over. Uh, we saw that especially in the holiness uh, program, uh, program two in the series. So I am the Lord your God. It's rooted in the character of God, and it's also emphasizing their own experience. Remember what happened to you and be careful. And we want to really dig a little deeper into that aspect of it, and we'll do that next. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. 
I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork and this final program in a four-part series on Leviticus where we're looking at an interesting side note, but it's much more than a side note in Leviticus, Dave, where God's really concerned not just with Israel, but non-Israelites, foreigners, immigrants who live in the land. And we just saw that the Israelites were not only to not mistreat them, they were to love them as though they were native-born. And God reminds them, hey, this happened to you in Egypt. Bad things happened to you. Don't do it. And God needs to say that day because, as we said in the opening of this program, it's a sad human tendency, and it begins on the playgrounds of life, frankly, that if you finally get let into a club that never wanted you to be in before, you'd think that would make you, as a new member of the club, more open to let in other people. But it sometimes doesn't happen that way. Oh, no, not given our human nature. In fact, Scott, when you were saying that, it reminded me of an essay by C.S. Lewis entitled The Inner Ring. Mm. He spells out, it's something I think we can all identify with, what a, a tug it is to be in the in crowd, in the in group in the exclusive club, however that's defined. And as you say, it begins already with kids. And then how do you keep it exclusive except by keeping others out? And sadly, something like that was a constant temptation for Israel because they were called to be holy, to identify themselves as the people of God. We're the ones, we're chosen, we're in. Uh, We need to be pure. Yeah, it's a big challenge to us. It it involves all of life, but we're there. So let's pull up the drawbridge and not let anybody else in. Forget about Egypt. Forget about that. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Because later in Israel's history, not long before the people are actually exiled as punishment for their sins, you get the minor prophets. You get Amos and Micah and and others, Zechariah. Uh, And what is their number one complaint? You abused the immigrants in your midst. You abused the widows. You abused the orphans. The people I told you to take extra special care of, again, including these immigrants that we're focusing on in this program, Dave, you turned right around and abused them or did your level best to keep them out. And, you know, we talked about Ruth earlier uh, in this program, Dave, as the classic example of the stranger, the immigrant who was vulnerable, but if you treated them right, good things could happen. But now we need to do another character on whom we also did a Groundwork series, who who was a good example of the insularity of the Israelites, and that was the prophet Jonah. Yes, so the conclusion of the book of Jonah is one of the greatest passages in the whole Old Testament, because it's intended to get the audience, who originally would have been these same Hebrew people, these same Israelites, to see how ridiculous it is to exclude the outsider or to uh, look down upon the outsider or the stranger or the foreigner. So at the end, Jonah is angry because Nineveh has repented at his preaching. His preaching worked. Yeah, right. He's the only successful preacher who was ticked off by the fact. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, he'd rather be dead than see the Ninevites brought into the grace of God. And the truth is, 
For so much of the Old Testament later on, as you said in the prophets, Israel forgot her vocation. And the whole fact that she was chosen, made holy, and separated for God, that was provisional. That wasn't the end game God had in mind. It was a means to the end of drawing all people to himself. And that was made clear right at the beginning with the call of Abraham. Right. Uh, You will be a blessing to all nations. But again, it's so interesting when we look at Abram, Dave, we go back to Genesis chapter 12. So we just were saying that the experience of being slaves in Egypt was supposed to be part of the spiritual DNA of Israel. Remember how you were mistreated so you don't mistreat others. You have been an immigrant yourself. Abram became an immigrant at God's command because when Abram was settled, he was older, he was rich, he had land, flocks. But what was God's first word to him? God comes to Abram out of a clear blue sky and says, go, hit the road, leave, become an immigrant. And indeed, Abram does, Abram and Sarai and their families. And Abram never has a home country again. He has to negotiate at the end of his life just to buy enough of a plot of land to bury Sarah after she dies. He never has a home again. And somehow that identity of of being a wanderer was supposed to be part of it. In fact, by by the end of the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, uh, one of Moses' last words to the people of Israel was, Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice. But the point is, my father was a wandering Aramean. That was supposed to be like a slogan Mm -hmm. for Israel. We know what it's like to be strangers ourselves, so we want to be open to strangers and be kind to them in a way the Egyptians never were to us. Yeah, and one of the ironies of the story of Israel is that at the very beginning, when Abraham was called out, he was promised that he would have a land forever for himself and his descendants. Well, he never got one. (laughs) He never got it. He remained a wanderer all his life, as did Isaac, his son, as did Jacob. They lived in tents. They never settled down. They never actually possessed it. And that was supposed to be something that they remembered. The whole history of the people was to be stamped with this realization, hey, don't forget, we know what it's like to be enslaved. We know what it's like to be foreigners. We know what it's like to be dependent on the mercy of others. So treat others the same way. Bear that in mind. That's the story that Leviticus tells. Right. You're supposed to be a hospitable people. Hospitality toward the stranger is supposed to be high on their list. And, of course, taking care of those other uh, vulnerable groups, the widows and the orphans as well. But, again, uh, we might say, well, okay, that was Israel. Israel was a unique nation in the history of the world. It was a theocracy. It was ruled by God. No nation on earth, not the United States, not New Zealand, not Germany. No nation on earth today is the equivalent of ancient Israel. So this was supposed to be within the borders of Israel. Does this have anything to do with the church now? This core principle of providing for the alien, the immigrant, the stranger. Well, it does. The New Testament shows us that, and we'll conclude this program and this series by looking at that in just a moment. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith 
in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, you know, we've been talking about this whole idea of immigrants and so forth. And the opening verses of the Gospel of John kind of give us this theme, believe it or not, if you read it the right way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In a sermon I preached on this a while back, I said, you know what, another way you could translate that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was home. (laughs) The Word was the Son of God, and he was home. But then we read, but he couldn't stay home. Uh, The Word had to leave home, had to become flesh and come into our world. And that sort of makes Jesus the ultimate immigrant, if you will, the ultimate stranger in our midst. And the sad thing about already in John 1 is that when Jesus came to this world that he made, no one recognized him. When he came to his own people, that famous verse from John 1, 10, they received him not. Right. He was the ultimate alien within our gates. He came to that which was his own, and his own people received him not. Yeah, a powerful warning, really, to us. Could Christ be present in our midst as the stranger, as the alien, as the immigrant? Uh, Israel, as we've seen, was told to remember their own experience. Once you get into the inner ring, don't try to keep everybody else out. It's not an exclusive club. God's heart is for the nations. God's ultimate desire and destiny is that all people would come to him and be restored to him through Christ. And that's why Jesus came. And so this is such an important biblical theme, and it has continuing repercussions for us as Christians if we really do say we're Bible people. This is what we need to listen to. You know, we've uh, talked about this before on Groundwork, Dave. We did a uh, series a while back on some of the unsung virtues. I mean, we've got gifts of the Spirit. We've got the nine fruit of the Spirit. Uh, But we noted in another series that there are a number of virtues in the New Testament that don't get as much attention, one of which is hospitality. And it actually comes up a lot in the New Testament. There seemed to be this expectation that Christian people would be hospitable people and we would bring in strangers and we would welcome them and treat them as our own. Same thing God told uh, in Leviticus 19, the Israelites to do with foreigners. Don't treat them like they're foreigners. Treat them like they're your kids. Treat them as though they were native born. And the New Testament says, as people who follow Jesus, who was the ultimate stranger in our midst, we too must be hospitable. But beyond that, Dave, we could wonder a little bit about some of the other implications of of this Leviticus focus on the alien, because as we said a minute ago, no nation on earth today just is ancient Israel. So how do we appropriate this within the church? Yeah, exactly. And I think we have to recognize that we can't simply pick up the Bible cut out a verse and then say, well, this should be national policy. There are difficult political questions that need to be resolved. Politics is by its very nature, the art of compromise, the art of finding the best way in an imperfect world, a way that may not be perfect 
to do justice and to show mercy. So nations have a right to have and set their own immigration policy. No nation is completely without borders or control of those borders. You know, we're not going to get into some kind of policy pronouncement here based on Leviticus. Right. But I mean, the Bible isn't a cookbook. The Bible's not a science book and an economics textbook, and it's not a policy manual for uh, for governments today in setting their immigration policies. However, what about those of us in the church? No matter what country we live in, certainly if we want to get an idea of what our own individual as believers, but also as congregations, uh, maybe maybe as denominations— If we wanted to get an idea of what our core attitude toward strangers should be, of what our core attitude toward people not like us should be, well, certainly there's a lot to apply here. Absolutely. And, you know, you have only to think of a parable like Matthew 25, but Jesus says, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, the sheep and the goats are both mystified. When did we see you hungry or a a foreigner or in prison? And we clothed you, we visited you in as much as you did it to one of the least of these. So we may find Christ in the guise of the stranger, of the immigrant. That's one important principle for Christians. The other important principle is from Leviticus. Don't forget, you were like that once. You were on the outside and God has graciously received you. So we need to treat others with the same kind of grace. And the Apostle Peter picked up on this. And, of course, Peter had to learn some of this the hard way himself. As we've talked about from the book of Acts, he initially didn't think Gentiles, non-Jews, could be accepted, but he had to learn it. But then he did learn it. And in 1 Peter 2, he writes, starting in verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And now this, 1 Peter 2, verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I love that line, once you were nobody. Yeah. You were nobody. You didn't belong to the nation or the household of God, but by grace you've been brought in. Do that for others, Peter is saying. Right. It also makes me think of a wonderful verse in the book of Hebrews which brings it down to a personal level where it talks about the importance of showing hospitality. And then it adds, for by so doing, some have entertained angels Mm. without being aware of it. And that's probably a reference to the story in Genesis about Abraham welcoming these three strangers one day who came to tell him specifically that he was going to have a son. The time had come. And it was the Lord himself appearing in human form. And when Abraham welcomed that stranger into his home and fed him, he was actually showing hospitality to God. So something like that can happen with us. And the Bible needs to emphasize it as much as it does, Dave, because the sad fact is we're all very, very good at exaggerating even slight differences among people. A little bit of a different speech accent, a little bit of a different color skin, a little bit of a socioeconomic background difference, and we can run with that and turn that other person into the other whom we shun, whom we don't like. We, we take any difference between us and among us as an excuse to mistreat other people. Wars have been fought this way. Genocides are founded on that non-welcome of the other. But instead, we are supposed to see Jesus in the other. And no matter how different they may be from us, this could be Jesus. Yeah. 
Jesus said, actually, it is me. And so we welcome them because that's what God calls us to do. It's supposed to be part of our own spiritual DNA. So what do we learn from Leviticus? We learn that God has graciously dealt with our sin. We learn that God has made us holy, uh, belonging to him. We learn that if we are holy, if we are God's special people, we need to act like it. And one way we can act like it is by expressing and extending that same kind of grace to others. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Dave Bast. We hope you'll join us again next time when we continue to dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. We have a website, groundworkonline.com. Please visit it, share what Groundwork means to you, make suggestions for what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframemedia.com for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our content and managing producer is Courtney Jacobs.